0: I am see those
1: waves. How you doing, Audacity? Those
0: waveforms.
1: How you doing?
0: This feels like my waveforms look a little big, but I'm only at 55 gain, which is crazy.
1: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate
0: factory. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth, and one of us always lies.
1: I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to Vans Labyrinth, a podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre television. My name's Joseph, and here's my co-host... Lydia. I'll leave the line to you. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> hey, hi. How are you? How are you?
1: We actually Well, I mean, I shouldn't even ask because we had just talked about how we were both doing... So they don't have to hear about our usual work hassles. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's not very exciting for people. I usually try to cut out a decent amount of it unless it like feels like it's vibing somewhere. Mm, Yeah,
0: sometimes we're funny on occasion. Not me. Sometimes I'm Uh. funny and you're reactive.
1: I play a good straight man, you know, not that kind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. Uh,
1: Yeah, I know. See, I can be funny when I want to be.
0: Nicely
1: done. Pressed. I tell this to my family all the time. They're like, you're not funny. And I'm like, and every time I make them laugh, I'm like, that was on purpose. Just so you know, that was an intentional joke to make you laugh. And they're like, mm-hmm. Because that's what they always say. They're always like, all your humor is just unintentionally funny. So healthy family, you know.
0: Well, that's, fun. that's mean.
1: <laughs> but I do, actually, I think this actually does come from, you know, being gay and coming out a bit. And like a lot of my straight friends when I first came out, because I didn't know gay people at the time, Right, it's like they just found it inherently funny that I was gay, and so like literally me doing anything would just be laughed. That was it was it was that era, right, where everything was gay, everything was, and so Mm -hmm. just the inherent act of being gay was often funny to people. And not to be named, but still, some of my friends do this.
0: I don't know why this just popped into my head. This is like the worst thing popped in my head. But do you remember that time, years and years ago? I'm not ready for this. When we were first when we first started hanging out and we were like a group of us were at Starbucks mm-hmm. and our one friend that we're not we, we don't really talk to anymore was yelling out very inappropriate things loudly in the Starbucks and you and I just looked at each other yeah, and just, we were like, like is this
1: a story that's good for the podcast like
0: <laughs> I'm not going to say yeah. it I'm not going to say it cuz it was bad um but you and I just like lock eyes yeah and leave together and at that point we barely yeah. knew each other like we'd only spoken in passing and we just looked at each other this is like and our, like, yeah, is like our favorite story yeah this is our genesis of our friendship
1: yeah. yeah and if by by our by our hating of a different friend
0: <laughs> <laughs> i was still smoking at the time so we made eye contact and i could tell you were was as like, uncomfortable I as i was and i was just to like leave. i'm gonna go yeah. out for smoke do you wanna come outside with me <laughs> And we just left everyone inside and we're like, I don't know if I can ever go in the Starbucks again. I'm so uncomfortable with what just happened. Yeah.
1: You know, but you know, it's funny looking back, like that's not the reason why I broke up with that friend. Like it was so many other things just on top of it, but.
0: Well, so much. It was was a while after that. Like it had to have been a year or two after that had happened. Yeah. That you guys officially ended your friendship. Sounds so dramatic.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, He was my best friend for many years of my life. So it was a big deal.
0: Yeah, I guess it wasn't, I shouldn't be so dismissive. It wasn't not dramatic. It just sounds like more dramatic Mm. in my brain. I'm imagining like an actual full breakup scene, like throwing their shit out the window kind of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, I I, I used to, I I, I don't know what, we need a word for it, but it's like I actually, a lot of the, uh, some of the most difficult social moments of my life was that I've had to like actually have like sit down, breakup type conversations with a few of my best friends who were like my, like a large part of my social life for years. Like I was often a person who just had like one best friend for years and like would only talk to other people occasionally. And a lot of them, like I didn't, I was never one to just like let it ghost and go away. That did happen with one of my like close friends. And I was, I still to this day am annoyed at it. I still texted him like once a year for like years. I'm being like, I'm seeking closure. Like what happened? And just He stayed ghosted, which is his complete right. I'm not saying like he's a bad person because he's doing that. But I'm just like, it just makes me sad. I'm like, it's the one relationship yeah. I never got to have a sit down. Like, why didn't things work? That that one was kind of obvious in a way. Like, we both moved to different cities. So it's like, there right. wasn't a big special reason necessarily. But still.
0: I'm very much about the Irish goodbye. What's like, that? will just like... Uh, like leave without telling anyone. Oh,
1: yeah. During parties is Irish So if
0: you're an Irish goodbye. So if you're at a party, you just like leave, don't tell anyone. And then like an hour later, you get bombarded with text messages being like, where the fuck did you go? I was really That's bad an Irish goodbye. for that.
1: My first nights out clubbing, just the, the way my anxiety worked. I was like, the second I wanted to leave, I'm like, I have no time. I have no time to tell anyone. I just need to go. And that's just the way it worked Mm. for my first few times. And
0: I didn't usually do that at um, parties. I mean, I did that in in friendships (laughs) a few times that I was ending. Um, But, like, for parties, I was usually, like, I was very much the fashionably late, show up already drunk Mm. kind of person, which is not great, um, but life-of-the-party attitude. And I remember one year, I used to throw these huge birthday bashes. Like, that was my thing in my, like, early to mid-20s. I'd throw these enormous birthday bashes. Um, and I always showed up late and already drunk. Uh, but this one year, uh, I can't remember, I was turning like 24 or 23 or something. The way I did my parties is we'd go bowling, which sounds so childish, but it's so fun. You go to Laser Bowl, you get really shit-faced at Laser Bowl, and the drinks are so cheap there. And then you go downtown to one of the clubs, and that's what we do every year. So we did this on my 23rd or my 24th. And I went to to a friend's place to pre-drink ahead of my party, and we were all going to go together. But I guess my friend's roommate was already having a house party. So we go in to do pre-drinking, and we're at this other house party. And I got absolutely obliterated, invited everyone at the house party to my birthday party, showed up to my birthday party 40, 45 minutes late with 50 people from another party that I just stole. I just stole somebody else's party um, and brought it to mine. And everyone was like, where the fuck have you been? They all started bowling already. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know, but I'm here now. Like birthday girl's here.
1: (laughs) Different life than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I pre book all the lanes. Right. And I tell people like all lanes are reserved. Just like when you get there, get your shoes, like do your thing, whatever. I'll I'll get there when I get there. (laughs) Cause everyone sort of knew at that point. So that was fun. I took a lot of shit for that one.
1: I'm glad we got to talk about some of those things because today we're not going to be talking about other media, really. We're going straight. No, we're not. uh, It wasn't the full thing. I really think we should have finished now that I'm thinking on it, like at least Alien Resurrection. But we did watch the first. I told you to. Okay, Jesus. I
0: told you we had time.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm saying reflecting. It is better than the third one, but
0: it's still bad. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. the we watched the first three alien movies
0: yes so we watched alien aliens and then alien cubed <laughs>
1: yeah as i like to call it
0: and they get steadily worse but yeah
1: I, i'll I'll be honest like i really don't i wrote notes for alien and alien a- aliens i have like nothing to say about alien three like it's really just a boring movie <laughs> it's
0: so bad it's just it's boring so That's okay it's, don't don't we can't jump into three. I've well, we already
1: done my review of three. So. <laughs> but there are things I want to talk about. Okay, well, uh, you go right ahead. You know, <laughs> you can save your <laughs> Alien Three review. <laughs> the end.
0: Okay, let's do this like normal fucking movie reviewers oh who do a retrospective oh on a God. series of films and start at the beginning. and, miss,
1: and don't have the prequels.
0: Well, nobody cares about fucking Prometheus. If you do, you're a pretentious asshole. That movie sucked. I don't care. That movie was bad. And it was a weird, bad allegory from Ridley Scott about his, like, obsession with creation and religion. And I'm not about it. He's turned into a pretentious, esoteric asshole in the same way that Darren Aronofsky has. has. So I have no issue reaming out (laughs) Prometheus. I hate that fucking movie. Even though I think Alien is a masterpiece other movies by Ridley Scott in this series are fucking abhorrent. They're terrible.
1: There's, I think there's actually so many interesting things about the first alien movie. I and I have no idea where to start, I guess. Well, you said that you think it's a masterpiece. I think it's interesting. Cause as you know, I love sci-fis and for me, you know, as pretentious and boring as things, 2001 blade runner, some modern ones oh, the are, my, like, are my number one. So shocking. But it's it's partly just because they represent I, like the ideascape of sci-fi in a really good way. I think Alien is very good as a movie that combines a lot of genres and is actually just thrilling. I agree with that. And it's actual, the actual experience of watching it is thrilling. The sci-fi elements or the world-building elements, especially just looking at the first movie... I think are pretty limited compared to other sci-fis.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I think personally, in my perspective, as much as I do think Alien is a sci-fi movie, it has sci-fi elements, of course, because it's aliens, it's in space, it's on a spacecraft, et cetera. It definitely aligns more to like horror mm-hmm. in my books and maybe thriller than really what people consider true sci-fi. And for sure, that's gatekeeping. You know what? What is true, real sci-fi can have a very gatekeeping feel to it, and genre communities always do. <laughs> but for me, and just what I love from it, what I find interesting from it, what I, what makes me excited are the horror and thriller elements, and I think they are much more well defined than the sci-fi elements, as what you're talking about—that world building, that sort of like that specific aesthetic, the question asking, all of these things—you like, don't really get that in Alien.
1: Yeah, there is. There is a little bit in it, and we will start talking about it as we go on. But I remember talking to you a little bit about this while we were watching it. But one thing that I like framing it, because this is just how I frame sort of the history of sci-fi in my mind, is so I didn't realize like precisely when it was, but 2001 is about mid-60s. So 1965, I think it was. sixty-eight, And it has this extremely clean classic sort of view of the utopian kind of view of the future of humanity. Now there's some messy stuff that happens in the actual plot line because, of course, spoilers, I guess. But, like, of course, the AI turns against them. But really, it shows a future in which humanity has just been very successful in a very plain way. There isn't some dystopian element to it. Solaris, which has been remade into American ones, but originally was this Russian film, shows off a more dark and gritty side and that's what the director said that he was looking for he thought it was too clean in too utopian of a future and actually you know Star Trek the original Star Trek was coming out around this time too and so these first sci-fis on the screen were really these very clean and since then almost every sci-fi since has been much more dirty looking like much more grimy much more looking at the what if this goes wrong in society what if Terminator comes down or what it, you know um, what if God, I love Terminator, you know, in, in Alien, I, I what mean, if the aliens are terrible? I get
0: it. I do understand what you're saying. And I agree with you. And I think I think a lot of that just stems from the fact that honestly, dystopia is more interesting <laughs> than perfect utopia. Like there's a lot more questions to be asked and there's a lot more opportunity i think when you look at like the world at large that we exist in for moral failings to happen in the future in the way that they do in these sci-fi films the cleanliness the perfection the utopia it just it gets boring after a while it gets too academic and esoteric like it does it doesn't create a sense of like anxiety or or frustration or stress or force you to ask questions about your own inner moral failings or anything like that it's just like humans are amazing and look at all the great things we do and that's awesome and it's visually stunning and it might ask a philosophical question within it but it doesn't create that same kind of like dynamic exciting scary world mm-hmm.
1: We should say a little bit about a little bit about what's going on in the original alien movie. So it's the because first no one, one knows. Is yeah, I know. First one is by Ridley Scott as No you one's said. ever
0: seen this movie that came out in 78.
1: Yeah. Stars, the main star is Sigourney Weaver, and she's in throughout the three alien Just movies.
0: Such a handsome woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. Well, total lady crush.
1: And then uh there's a whole bunch of other people. Yafet Kodo. It's a whole bunch of other people. They're not as relevant, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yafet Kodo, John Hurt, Ian Holm, Tom Skerritt, and Veronica Cartwright play the rest of the...
0: Who the the fuck is John Hurt in this? I've seen this movie. We just rewatched it. Who's John Hurt in it? He's Kane. Jesus, I didn't even recognize him. That's wild.
1: Yeah, so they're all basically crew members aboard the Nostromo uh, sort of... It seems to be a kind of... Nostromo. Kind of workaday vessel, they seem to trade or transport goods. Yeah, it's goods. a um,
0: yeah, it's a transporting
1: vessel, so you can almost say it's like space trucking that they're basically involved yeah, in. Yeah,
0: it's the, yeah, basically, and it's a futuristic version of
1: truckers, right? And that is such a different version already from 2001, right? You're getting from like space tourism yeah. and the beauty and the edge of humanity and what they're interested in doing, too. Uh, these are just some workaday people who are like trying to get paid. For a job, it does feel less
0: elitist. Yeah. I will say that, like, it feels very much working class, which I like. Mm-hmm. You know, I relate to more.
1: And that's exactly you know how they talk, and they're so frustrated finding out that there's an alien distress signal because they're like, yeah, the rules state that we have to go and check it out, but like, do we get paid extra? Like, these are not people who are interested in the frontier of science for humanity, and. Yeah. That theme. No,
0: they're like we're we need money. We're poor. Are you gonna pay us for this?
1: <laughs> yeah, these are working class people dealing with things at the ground level of a humanity that's been in space for a while now, and they're just getting a job done. And I think that's it's a really interesting starting point. And only ten years after two thousand one, so really, the, you know, you know, the utopian phase has ended, and they really find this interesting new ground to really put sci-fi in the alien call comes in they have to check it out but none of them are really that interested
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a really cool way to start the movie and that basis of classism is prevalent only it's it's i think i kind of like looking back on it only in kind of the background of the movie it's only at the beginning scenes is it really persuade uh, Pervasive really just becomes this thriller about the alien jumping around the ship afterwards. Yep. But it sets up things nicely. This like, I'm not getting paid enough for this kind of attitude that they they go through. And the most evil characters are basically all involved in capitalist or scientist or elitist uh, problems. And so in this science fiction, the scientists, in a way, are the most evil people and it's something that we'll we'll talk about it more, but I'll just state my opinion about this. I really have trouble with the fact that Sigourney Reaver's character Ripley states over and over again throughout this idea that we need to, and this is throughout all three movies, we need to burn the aliens. Like we need to just get rid of them all. And this this fact that scientists want it, or there's a reason to study or communicate with these aliens, is like never the solution for her. She's like they it, the aliens just pure because evil.
0: Here's the thing. They make it very clear throughout the movie, like even in the first one, when you get to the climax of the film, that they don't want to study or communicate or learn from this like the xenomorph alien race. They want to weaponize it because even though they are scientists, they are capitalist scientists and they're specifically about using science to make more money. And they're doing it in an immoral way by tricking people into risking their lives to and sacrificing themselves when they didn't sign up for that in the first place to get this horrendously like parasitic, violent, one-track mind predator of an alien so that they can turn it into a bioweapon. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not trying to learn from it. They're not trying to advance. Science. They're not trying to like advance their academic understanding of other races in the universe. They're just trying to create a weapon yeah. well, and, so that they can make money and gain power.
1: Uh, yeah, and that's exactly how they act. It's just interesting that in most science fiction, most context stories, right, the characters who represent that view are prominent and usually on the forefront. But in this case, the two options you have is to follow Ripley, in which the answer is exterminate the aliens completely or the corporations which are obviously going to use it for horrible means and that remains consistent throughout the movies like there's never a point where you're given any other character really brings up another option and so i both have trouble with it from a certain point of view but also i'm just interested in that dynamic like what is going on with these movies where the alien presents itself that way one line in this movie that really stood out to me cuz i had not remembered it on my from my original viewing was when the android says that seeing the alien was one of the most beautiful or well-crafted creatures he'd ever seen he was looking upon perfection and it i don't know where that idea is placed in cuz i thought maybe aliens or aliens 3 would enlighten that a bit more of what they're thinking with this idea of the aliens, but of course they're made by different directors. I don't think there's a yeah. source material, so it's really just the different ideas of different people.
0: No, I mean, there yeah. were there were novels after the first movie came out um, that sort of expand on the world and the story and stuff like that. And then, like, you're really supposed to get a greater understanding of this viewpoint from Prometheus and Alien right. Covenant, which are the prequel movies that give you a more under- more understanding of, like, how humans came to be and then what the xenomorphs are and and why they are the way they are, and etc. But really, in in my opinion, what the Android was talking about is that it is a perfect weapon, right? Like it is a perfect killing machine. And that is a theme that continues through all the movies, regardless of director, right. um, because it is so incredibly difficult to kill. It can breed almost indiscriminately whether the face huggers are there or not, because it cocoons humans into the eggs and turns them into these things. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost impossible to entirely eradicate. It's blood is acid. Yeah. So even if you wound it, you're still either damaging where you are. If you're in a spaceship, even worse, or you're going to kill yourself because it'll burn through you in seconds. And like, it's, silent it's able to move around so quickly it's able to survive in extreme situations with almost any type of atmosphere on a planet like the planet that it was on when they get there in alien is a planet that humans cannot be on Mm -hmm. humans can't survive on it but the xenomorph can so regardless of atmosphere and atmospheric pressure and gravity whatever the xenomorph can survive thrive breed and kill So in those ways, it's very much like this horrific, monstrous version of a cockroach. Yeah. And in that that way, it is perfect. It is the perfect creature because it can survive almost anything.
1: Yeah, for for sure. I want to talk about the scene that most... I mean, okay, there's the obvious scene that stands out to everyone. We'll get to it. But the scene that most stands out to me is the beauty of the aesthetics of when they first go to that ship. There's something about... The look and feel of the alien creature, which at that point audiences wouldn't have known. And I don't, I can't think of things before Alien that really looked the exact way the alien looks. And the ship continues this it's industrial, it's black, it's oily, it's this perfect complex machine of like, as you're saying too, like almost it looks like it's made to kill or to be imposing, to have control over you. Everything about the ship it
0: itself also on the interior has an almost like human anatomy look to it, even though it's black and it's oily and it's and it's very metallic. The shape of the walls and like the sort of ripples in the floor and stuff, it makes it look almost like an esophagus right. or an organ. Like it looks like a living thing, which is so much more disquieting. Like it looks so much more other than what you would imagine a human ship to look like.
1: There's something about it, like it's that shape of both esophaguses and, you know, like payphone telephone cords, like that kind of corded thing. And that sense is both, you know, like a heavy chain and this organic weirdness. And that combination is this hyper sleek, terrifying, killing machine type feeling. And everything from from the face huggers to the... I don't know what it's called. The uh, I think chest chestburster, and then the the full form have xenomorph particular terrifying looks to them. And I'd say for me, the original alien movie is by far the most effective. I do think Aliens is quite good too, but it the original one is so effective because it has so many moments in which the reveal of what the facehugger is doing. Of well, first seeing the ship on the ground, then seeing the facehugger then seeing what, like, understanding what it's doing. And the acid, that is a really interesting scene where you see how powerful its de- defense mechanisms are. Two further twists in the movie is all so well done. That pacing and that feeling, the ship itself looks really cool. That The, um, not the alien ship, the ship they're on is actually just a really solid-looking, cool, work sci-fi ship.
0: Yeah, very tangible, very industrial, very, like, human feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: And so I just think as a piece of creative art, I think the whole thing, like the aesthetics, the settings, the pacing of the different thriller beats just works. It's a really cool idea of horror. Like you almost have a horror character like Mike Myers, but as the alien, right? Like this is-
0: You mean Michael Myers? Yeah. Mike Myers is the actor who played Austin Powers- I know they're the same name, but if you say Mike Myers, people are going to think Wayne's world. Like, why were you freaked out by Wayne?
1: But yeah, so the alien itself has that kind of supernatural almost abilities that horror killers tend to have where they don't really (laughs) seem to die. But in this way, it's sort of justified that the alien itself actually does have those qualities. And that's why it's so hard to kill.
0: Yeah, it's evolved to a point where it is the perfect
1: killing machine. It's funny too, like there's Predator and there's a couple other movies that are similar in this idea, but really Alien still stands out as like the best representation of an alien species doing this type of thing.
0: So the other thing, like the two other things that work really well for me here is that it's not so much it has, I don't want to say it has twists because that harkens to like an M. Night Shyamalan and puts bad taste in everyone's mouth, but like it has these unexpected moments, right? Like the chest bursting Mm -hmm. thing, was something so unexpected to audiences when that movie first came out. And I mean, everybody knows about it now because the movie came out in 78. But it was so unexpected to audiences and the practical effects were so effective. And the reactions, because the actors had no idea that that was going to happen, are so visceral and real feeling that it it's... It's so effective as an element of horror, as an element of thriller. It just works so effectively. And same with when you find out that Ian Holmes' character is an android. Because at no point in the movie did you even know androids existed. You didn't even know that they were a thing in this universe. And then he turns out to be an android planted there to guide them into the situation that eventually gets everybody killed. Mm -hmm. And those two things are just so, so effective for me. And then you and then on top of that you have these amazing, especially in 78, practical effects like the Xenomorph which is this full 8-foot tall puppet that has a man inside of it operating it looks so real. Like it just genuinely looks like this horrifying cross between an alien and an insect and it is so other and upsetting looking and it's practical effects like that's incredible to me. The chest bursar, I'll admit, when that first happens, by today's standards, looks very corny. By the 70s, 80s standards, would have looked incredible. But the face hugger is so terrifying and so disgusting and looks like this weird insect crustacean thing. Like All of these practical effects elements are so, so good and stand up so well to the test of time that I think it just adds so much to the horror element.
1: I think one of the failures of Aliens and Alien 3 is the greater use of CGI or um, things. It really takes you out. And it's funny that they're more in the future, and yet they look like lower budget, more messy movies, even though they had more opportunity to really amp up their game. And so the original does have some moments, I'm not sure if it's CGI, but has some weird puppeteering, weird things that look... Silly, but it almost throughout just feels still coherent. Still feels in that world, especially three, but even many moments in two, it's one hundred percent CGI. It's you can see the green screen, like
0: it's still the it's puppet. Bad. It's still the puppet in Aliens.
1: Well, they CGI For the backgrounds part, or something because you can tell that they're moving things ac- across a background or
0: yeah not in every situation but for the most part it's still the puppet there are a couple elements where they used cgi for sure whatever early version of cgi was available in the early 80s but for the most part it's still practical effects in aliens i will say it's it's more ostentatious because it's james cameron you know who did terminator terminator 2 and then weirdly enough titanic and the avatar movies but it you know, it's, it's got a Michael Bay kind of action movie vibe, which is what James Cameron is very much known for. <laughs> um, but it is still a lot of practical effects for the most part. You have a few elements here and there. But I mean, even with, even with Bishop, like the android in Aliens, when he gets torn in half, all of that is practical mm-hmm. effects. So, I mean, for the most part. The flames are definitely the earliest version of what we would now consider CGI. It's not exactly CGI because the computer generation code for fire didn't exist at that point. It didn't exist until the first Lord of the Rings, but it is still like photography tricks where they take still images and then yeah. animate them. And it looks very shitty, but the xenomorph for the most part is still CGI, but they're still puppetry. The queen, I'm not, there could be some versions of the queen in that movie that weren't.
1: I... Yeah, I actually think the queen looks really good, but the it's just in the first movie. I'd say like there's just so few moments that take me out. I do think the moment right after the chest bursting where it runs is where it's running, yeah, but it's goofy. But overall, it's really effective throughout the overall feeling of horror and the feeling of the being up up close and personal with the face hugger with the chest burster. Um, those things, whereas the later movies lose a bit of that sense. You're just constantly being flooded with huge-scale xenomorphs that you don't get that intimacy of the, the terrifying horror of the actual having this parasite injected into you or feeling it within you and these softer moments in the first movie.
0: I think Alien works in the same, the first one works in the same way that the thing with Kurt Russell worked, right? Where it's like a small group of people in an isolated or confined space with an alien. And it's it's effective. It's scary. It adds an element of I don't know who to trust because you have no idea who might have this thing inside them. Uh, whereas in Aliens, and even more particularly Alien 3, it's they they feel like they're trying to do more of a large scale action movie. Yeah. As opposed to a horror with like thriller, psychological thriller elements to it. And look, Aliens, I still find incredibly charming. It's a lot of fun, but it is a fun movie where Alien felt like it was supposed to be a frightening movie.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to say that, okay, overall, one of the things that I do think is a weakness of the original Alien movie is that the characters, except maybe Ripley, are you don't get to know get to know them very well, especially the early yeah. ones that die. It feels very fast. That's pretty typical in horror movies and stuff anyways, but it depends on how you're thinking about the movie or what on what stage you're looking at it from or what lens. What I do like as a character moment is, and I guess this was a big twist for people who didn't know Ripley was going to be the main character, right? You're thinking the captain or these other people would be the main, you know, white guy in charge sort of thing. Yeah. But when she obey's the protocol that says you can't let this alien space uh, thing back in and she's a lieutenant she isn't she's in command at the time because so many of them were off ship but you know she's going against the orders of the captain uh, i think it was the captain who was saying like to let them in yes
0: tom scarrett
1: and so that dimension is so interesting she's so commanding on screen and so just like no i think this is right like i like not just i think this is the right thing to do. And if you don't do this, we're in a lot of trouble here. And you could just, her yeah. her level of calm rationality, but confidence and forcefulness, you could just see a switch on the screen right when that happens. And I don't know if that's already, because we know it's Ripley and we know she's going to do it. But I, I'll just say that I do think the scene is really effective and changes your vision of what the, how the movie's going to go from that point on. You're like, she's got to survive. Yeah,
0: and I think, I think it's so much more, Effective because she is a woman, mm-hmm. you know. If if you had a male a male character in that same role doing the same thing, I just don't think it would have been as impactful. Um, because you got to remember, this is nineteen seventy eight. You know this this type of movie was not expected to be led by a strong female character, especially not one that does have a more masculine energy. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I think it's great that she has this like powerful intensity that she has an androgyny in these movies she's not overly sexualized but it is against the norm especially for what was coming out at that time in sci-fi and in horror so i think it makes it more compelling it makes you sit up and take notice of her in a way that i don't think you would if a male lieutenant was doing the same thing
1: Mm -hmm. and so i think it's successful and in a way Thinking about the year two, I'm not sure exactly when it is, but it's got to be around when the original Halloween came out, which to my knowledge is when the final girl trope really came into being.
0: I mean, slasher movies existed before that. You know, there there was there was a, a format, like a series of tropes that were very specified once we got to the level of like Halloween, mm. Friday the 13th. Nightmare on Elm Street, there was a very specific outline of tropes that you would expect to see in a slasher movie, including the final girl. But there were films that followed the same kind of standard that came out earlier than that, right? Like you have Black Christmas, which I believe came out before Halloween, that is touted as being the first true slasher film, which is not true, and has a lot of the similar Mm -hmm. tropes, including a final girl. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which came out even earlier, also has a final girl, and even Psycho which a lot of people see as being influential on the slasher genre, and I don't think that's wrong, also has a final girl.
1: So maybe, yeah, the point has to be modified by a bit, but I think it is interesting that I think in a sci-fi you assume, um, not that everyone's going to die or anything like that, but that there's no privilege to the female characters as some kind of survivors or that they're better scientists or better at whatever it is that they're going to have to face in a sci-fi world.
0: Yeah, I think it's less likely until recently that you would even necessarily see a woman in a leadership role in a sci-fi film, let alone be like the main character and the survivor, the smartest one, et cetera.
1: Yeah. And so I think the mixture of it where you see her and then you connect that with the fact that it's this thriller, sci-fi tropes within it is interesting that her and... The guy who plays Parker, Yafet Kodo, are two of the final survivors, along with Veronica Cartwright, who plays Lambert, who I don't think is a very good character in this, but it just shows that I basically agree. all the white guy characters die first, and the surviving white character, white guy character at the end, is Ian Holm, who was the android and the evil entity all along. So it's very hard not to feel like there's some kind of choice being made here about who the survivors will be. Like, this wasn't just a thing. And, and it's quite against the standard, especially at that time, sci-fi narrative.
0: hmm 100%. To my knowledge, and please, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I'm totally fine with that. But to my knowledge, Ripley was originally written to be a male character. Mm. And then Ridley Scott chose to cast Sigourney Weaver in the role. Um, but they didn't change much about the writing In it, it's still written from, like, a white man's perspective. The lines are just given to a woman. And yet it's so effective, right? Like, it doesn't diminish the character in any way to write it as a man and then have a woman play it. I'm sure she added a different energy to what they were expecting, but it was just as effective and almost felt like if this is 100% true, it was originally written for a man, felt like a more... Not well rounded character because all of them are kind of two dimensional, but like her lines, the way she spoke, nothing about it felt like she was being objectified mm-hmm. or sexualized or diminished because of her femininity. She was taken just as seriously as everybody else, except for that one scene where they refused to leave the guy who had the face hugger on his mouth outside of the ship to quarantine mm-hmm. because they were idiots. Could you imagine some face hugger burst through the helmet of like your buddy's face and sticks on there? In what world would you bring this (laughs) up? I don't care. I don't care that he's your best friend. How could you be so fucking stupid? Just leave him out there.
1: It's It's, attention. I'm sorry. Right that. The horror mindset is often, why is everyone being so stupid? Why are they splitting up? Why don't you just ditch your friend? They're already dead to the killer or whatever. Whereas the heroic or fantasy standpoint is always never leave a man behind. You know, always save everyone because you will be able to because that's how those stories work, right? It's funny that it depends what world you're in to decide which answer I guess is that's correct.
0: that's true. I mean, yes, I do agree with you in that, in that regard, but I'm just thinking of it from like, a pragmatic if this were the real world standpoint how could you ever justify bringing him onto a ship with other people if you're alone if it's just the two of you on that ship fuck it yeah sure bring him on that's fine you're only risking yourself when there's eight other fucking people on there that are not prepared to take on this risk how dare you how dare you do this because like he had yes he's still at a pulse whatever he's an alien on his face and that alien could not look more like a parasite there isn't a world in which they could have made that thing look more like a demonic fucking tapeworm mm-hmm. why in what world
1: I'd heard that getting the Ridley Scott getting Yafet Koda was also he really wanted him he'd seen him in something else and he really wanted him but it was he knew that this, this was for to diversify the cast like he was so there's an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic here that he the the as we know the story goes, right? And how much of this both of us have verified? I don't know, but it's like the story goes that the script was originally written where they don't necessarily have genders, they don't necessarily have races, right? The characters are just characters on this ship. And then how much of this ending or how who ends up surviving and which characters take on what roles is so interesting from a modern day perspective of the class warfare, the race warfare, the gender dynamics that end up being at play. Mm-hmm. And so it would be so interesting to really dive down into the annals of history and find out what exactly went down for each of these different parts it's way beyond our scope but it's it's such an interesting yes. question when it comes to this movie because of the power of this aspect
0: and i do think the movie would have been much less impactful i mean maybe it would have still stood the test of time but if all of the characters were white men and a white man survived at the end i don't think that would have been as interesting no not at all yeah you know i don't think that would have been as captivating even if the special effects were the exact same just as fantastic the story is the exact same but it's all white dudes i think it would be boring especially from a modern day perspective. Whereas now we can look back on this and see like, look at this, this is amazing. They were able to do this at this time. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do this now. But also the story is compelling. The horror is effective and the special effects still hold up after 40, 50 years. It's crazy.
1: I think too, and this might be down to the script being connected to that um, not having a gender thing. Ripley is not as involved with a romantic plot like she is in Aliens nor a motherhood plot. The idea of motherhood becomes such a big theme in a- Aliens. And to me, these things yes. bother me. They feel attached to something that was so strong just as a sort of classism plot, uh, the corporation wanting the bioweapons, the horror of an alien, that that type of thing was working so well. And yes, in a second movie, you should add more elements, but I feel like these were the most boring standard kind of elements you could add
0: because they felt like elements they chose specifically because she's a woman and not to make the plot or the story more compelling or more interesting and same with Alien 3 right like Alien 3 a weird like shoehorned in romantic plot and then there's a whole thing about her gestating one of them and it feels again very much like this like aberrant twisted version of motherhood and I'm like what are you doing why we? There was no need for this. You can expand on her character without adding these like typical, standard, boring elements that are added to every woman's character arc. Yeah.
1: My one line summary of what I of Alien Three is just that it's boring. I think it's like so repetitive of everything before it and like uninteresting in that regard. But I think where it does deviate or where it does change things is all just very disturbing. It's a very Disturbed yeah. mind that I am just not interested in approaching. It had
0: big Hellraiser vibes in a way less fun way. You know what I mean? And
1: just the Lord of the Flies-esque, like fifty of the most violent men ever just held well held back by their prescription to this religion, and one yeah, woman a weird
0: enters, cult that they've started about abstinence. You know,
1: and one woman enters, and I'm just like, what does this have to do with the alien universe? Or like, what is it? That you're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, no. Here? It
0: felt like it felt like it was leading into like a weird Mad Max yeah. and the Thunderdome, but the sexual assault version. Yeah. Especially since almost every man in there was both a murderer and a rapist. I'm like, what are you doing? And this movie, this movie, this fucking movie is directed by David Fincher. Yeah. It is his directorial debut, and I look. I'll give him a pass a little bit on some of it because it's a directorial debut and everything he'd done before that was music videos. And this does vary like every set and every camera angle and all the lighting feels like a shitty music video for like a low rent metal band. <laughs> but like, man, this movie is so fucking dumb and so shitty. And I'm like, come on Fincher. All the things he's made, and this is his first film. How did you have a career after this piece of garbage? Yeah.
1: And so, yeah, I, I'm just not happy with three. But we no, should.
0: It's objectively better. Yeah.
1: We should dive into, even though we've talked about it many times, dive more into aliens and what our general. Yeah.
0: James Cameron's addition. Yeah.
1: Feelings about that is.
0: To this longstanding series of films.
1: So, in this one, if I'm remembering correctly, plot is something like they have to. So, well. Firstly, um, Ridley is woken up. Ripley, sorry, she's awoken uh, from these hypersleep chambers that they have, and she realizes it's, it's been something like forty-seven years—a very long time.
0: Uh, fifty-seven. Okay, fifty-seven. Um, um, yeah, she escapes in the last movie on a um, escape pod, escape ship, goes into hypersleep. And like her expectation is that she's going to go into a populated quadrant within six weeks. So she should hopefully get picked up in the next couple of months and not be out there too long. Mm -hmm. Turns out she's not found for 57 years and she had just been drifting. I have no fucking idea how she survived Mm -hmm. for 57 years in cryosleep. I don't know. I don't understand how there was still oxygen left, but there was. So she gets picked up by a, the largest, one of the largest companies that operate in space and it also happens to be the company that that android from the first film was from Mm -hmm. and the android and you find this out very early on this is not a spoiler really you find it out in the first 20 minutes but the android that was specifically programmed to bring them to the alien life form that ended up killing everyone is also the company that ends up picking her up and waking her up out of hypersleep
1: yeah and so I forget exactly what it is. They don't feel like the alien is a threat or they don't even know it, it really exists, but they need to go back to that planet. for. They've been terraforming no, so, it. so,
0: yeah. So the planet is terraformed. The planet that the alien was originally found on by her ship, the Nostromo, 57 years earlier, is in the process of being terraformed. And people have been living on there terraforming it for 20 years. So the guy that you know, from the company that's talking to her, refuses to believe that there's any issue on this planet because they would have heard about it. And then suddenly, big surprise, the colony goes silent and nobody has heard from them in like two weeks. So they go to Ripley and they're like, hey, so this thing has happened and we don't know what's going on. It could be absolutely nothing. It could just be faulty equipment, whatever. But we would like you to go with the team that we're sending because you've seen this alien life form before and you know how to deal with it in a way that like our mercenary team doesn't know.
1: Yeah. And uh, so they send Marines basically with her as this kind of advisor, although she gets quite involved quite quickly.
0: Almost immediately.
1: Uh, With it. And it's, as you said, more of an action movie take on it. You're kind of immediately into this whole xenomorph base. And having to deal with
0: Yeah, it gives doom vibes. Yeah.
1: And and the Marines have to deal with them. And so it's it's cool that the movies are evolving. I think character-wise, you get a lot more personality right from the get-go. You see a lot of characters and they seem to have stuff going on. They seem to have backgrounds, their their armor sort of personalized to them. There's this fast yeah. feeling of like, okay, like this is a bunch of people. Although I think it is, I have kind of a mistake at the beginning where it's like, they kill off a lot of characters in the beginning. I'm like, was this even necessary? Like, I mean, I guess because you're bringing that big of a team in, but like, it's a strange choice for me to have like that many characters like are introduced and then die.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it it has the same vibe as Predator, the different. first Predator movie where you've got all these army guys going into this jungle um, and a bunch of them die off. But everybody has like a very strong, specific aesthetic to them. So it, it very much feels like James Cameron's version of Predator. And I can't remember which came first, but they feel very similar yeah. in that kind of realm. But, you know, fun actors are in this one. I mean, you've got, uh, what's his name? Michael Bane, I think, who is a James Cameron favorite, apparently, because he played Kyle Reese in Terminator. Mm. And I recognized him instantly. He used to be so attractive. <laughs> he is not now. He did not age great. He's kind of frightening looking.
1: And I, I don't know. I... I connected. I I liked the vibe at the beginning. It. I felt connected to the characters. It's kind of like a non-ironic version of, uh, or satirical version of Starship Troopers, which was actually like a favorite of mine when I was young. There's just a fun of like getting the team together and you know blasting some aliens. That fun though, I just feel like is so, in a way, shallow in comparison to the. Even though thrillers and horror can be shallow in its own way, but I just felt more moved by it. I felt more connected to the scene by scene things, and once things start to get the ball rolling in Aliens, you kind of see where a lot of stuff is going. Like it's really just a connect the dots of like, okay, they need to get this. They need to block this. They need to get this done. And yes, many characters will die, but like essentially you saw how things were were going.
0: Yeah, it's very much a standard kind of hero's journey vibe. Whereas like Alien still was. It had more elements of, like, psychological thriller and, like, slow burn horror, this very much feels like a standard hero's journey action movie in a lot of ways. With weird elements of, like, maternal instinct and, like, very vague, unfollowed-through romance. That's
1: the thing, right? The romance story is just bad, basically. The villain this time, right, is is apparent right from the get-go. Like, it's like, yes, he's sort of nice to her at the beginning, but you're like, he's obviously a corporate dude, And he's going to just... And they try to, like, red herring you with the android and being like... And she's like, oh, but you're an android. You're definitely evil. And it's like, no, obviously he's going to get a redemption arc and and the new models are good. But he was part of the company, so you didn't know that for sure. But it just felt so obvious that that was the direction. They were going to go to me at least. So I'm just like, this idea like, oh, would the corporate guy be good or would the android be bad? I was like, I kind of know.
0: Well, yeah, because when you... When you start off immediately knowing him, the, he's the android, right? He's an He is an android. It's very different than like in the first movie where you just thought he was a dude yeah. the entire time and then you find out not only is he the bad guy, he's also not human. That's a totally different experience than like, I'm an android right away and I'm like super nice and totally a main member of this cast that you have conversations with constantly. And then this other dude in a smarmy suit who's Kind of nice to her, but also kind of like weirdly manipulative. Yeah. You're like, well, of course he's gonna be a bastard. He looks like a fucking weasel.
1: Yeah, but they had a conversation early on, and I didn't know how to take this exactly. Where he promised that they would go and kill all the aliens, and that was the goal, and that's what she agrees to and decides to do. Which I was more fixated on this trouble with my feeling of that character's Like, why is there no one out? Like, no other options other than like just blow up all the aliens. But like, you know that that's what it is i guess i guess this is this is a thing like in terms of like true like like classic sci-fi whatever like you have the first one which is horror tropes where the uh, the goal is just survival and then obviously the bad guy just needs to be killed the second one is action movies where it's like the bad guy's evil we know they're evil and the goal is win but there really isn't that spirit of like exploration or of like Who are the aliens? Like, what are they up to? Like, there is a scientist character, the doctor in the first one, who is really interested in how the alien functions and whatnot. In the second one, it's really like,
0: yeah, but then he just turns out to be an evil android.
1: But, um, but yeah, he. Well, then he says the beauty line. I find that that stuff like interesting from the sci-fi element. The second one, it's tricky in its own way because the. There is stuff revealed because we haven't gone to it yet, but like the queen is the new big thing. And you see that there's more to the life cycle and how queens work and all this stuff for the aliens. And that's pretty cool. I'm not sure how necessary it is total, but it's pretty epic.
0: The visuals of it are just like so fucking upsetting and cool and weird.
1: Yeah. And obviously Ripley's whole coming down and doing the big fight with the queen. It's it's the really truly iconic part of the movie. The getting into the forklift. Oh, yeah mecca and fighting it's just it's epic right and it's it's feel good in a certain way and rebellious and strong and yeah it it works i just from a sci-fi perspective i do wish there's a little bit more but i have watched prometheus and i also found prometheus like like, yeah as you're saying like he's more interested in religion and bizarre stuff at this point than having a really compelling alien Yeah, I mean, story.
0: I do I do think he is adding in more of those sci-fi elements that you want, though. Like, in Prometheus and yeah. Alien Covenant, it is more about the questions and the creation and the space exploration than it is about, like, and it's still got the horror elements, of course, but it's not that, like, big action epic. It does feel more in line with, like, a true sci-fi. It's just so fucking pretentious yeah. and, like, smarmy that I hate it. Mm-hmm. I, ju- I hate everything about it. it's the same reason I hated Mother. And I don't care if you're like a pretentious academic that thinks Mother is a fucking masterpiece. That movie is dog shit. (sighs) I fucking hate it. I hate everything. It's so obvious. Everything it's trying to say, it's not asking... I'm just shitting on Darren Aronofsky now for no reason. This isn't the movie that we're talking about. But I stand by what I said, and it's the same reason I hate Prometheus. It's just everything he's trying to do feels like something a pretentious asshole does or says when they're trying to sound smart or one up you in a conversation. It doesn't feel genuine. It feels hollow and shallow, like he's trying to seem smarter than he is. And it's fucking irritating. (laughs) And the acting is subpar for the most part. Also in Prometheus, I think it's Prometheus. It's either Prometheus or Alien Covenant. There's Seam or one of the characters. We didn't even watch this movie and I'm still shit-talking it. There's a scene with one of the characters where he's supposed to be the guidance guy. Like, he's the fucking navigator. He's invented a whole new piece of technology that he wears on his arm that allows you to track people. He throws these, like, nodes into the ship that, like, pump little signals and, like, infrared so that he can literally get a three-dimensional map of this fucking ship Mm -hmm. on his arm at any time. And he goes in there, gets freaked out, runs away, totally fine. I get that. You get scared, you're pumping with adrenaline, you run. He immediately gets lost. And at no point does he think, I'm going to turn on my fucking math.
1: <laughs> I don't remember that. But yeah, I'm sure that, yeah.
0: And he gets lost and he dies in like fucking 10 minutes. I'm like, you you have one job. It's the only thing that you have trained for your entire career. You invented a thing to make your job substantially simpler than it ever could have been all you have to do is throw balls and turn a button and everything's there you don't have to do anything else and you still get lost and die he's like 15 feet away from the entrance when they go back in to look for him <laughs> i'm like how are you how are you lost turn left and you're out it's so aggravating it makes me irrationally angry and i'm like if you're gonna if you're gonna do that if you're gonna do something so fucking aggravatingly stupid you cannot sit there and tell me that this is an intellectual fucking masterpiece. You pretentious piece of shit. Movie is dumb. Hate that movie. Yeah, I, I Somebody's gonna be like big mad about their love for Ridley Scott now. <sighs> Just never listen to her podcast again.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of more stuff about aliens itself that honestly, I I pretty much have my feeling of it. There I mean, as one thing that your your rant there sort of reminded me of was uh the <laughs> The fact that in every movie, I'm not sure why they felt obsessed with this. <laughs> in every movie, they have this some sort of tracking thing. Like they're like, oh, we can track it with this motion sensing, or and they these
0: always things. get lost every time somebody gets lost, and they have something to tra- like. Except in Alien, not so much because they don't really have a tracking thing in Alien. They sort of have a heat, a vague heat signature thing that they can do, but that's it. Um, and they're mostly on their own ship, so they don't get lost. There is somebody who gets lost in aliens and dies stupidly easy when he has a machine that tracks the aliens. And they're like, oh, there's a cat on the ship. Right. And that's why I didn't know there were aliens there because I thought it was the cat. And it's like, okay, fine. But why is there a cat on the ship? Why why is this being introduced like 45 minutes into the movie that there's a fucking cat here? Mm. And why does the cat become so important?
1: Yeah. Well, the cat's in the first movie.
0: It feels like another thing that she's like, I'm a woman, so I have cats and an adopted daughter now. Well, and yeah, wife, okay, that's happening. something that we need to find
1: in the second movie. I find that plot frustrating. She finds the one survivor of the whole colony, which is this 12-year-old girl, you know, blonde, white girl, named Newt, uh, to express pure innocence in the face of the dark, terrible, you know, xenomorph. I don't know. It's just, it's such a, like, tropey thing would
0: it have irritated you less if it was a little like girl of color
1: maybe i mean it's not so much but it's just like the sign of a little girl being the sign of innocence and that she's like the survivalist and everything it just is so and like i what i guess what killed me is when she has like the tiniest bit of like makeup grime and they're like i can't even see your beautiful face and it's like
0: I hated the girl's voice. I know that's mean because she was like seven. I I couldn't stand her voice. She had the weirdest accent. Yeah, she had, and I had to I had to look it up online because the way she said things was so strange. I was like, where? What accent is this? And it turns out she's American, but she spent a portion of her childhood in England, um, and her education was in England, which is why she's got like this weird half English accent. But it is very off putting. And I know that's mean. She's a child. It's not her fault, but it's weird.
1: <laughs> but yeah, and I don't like how it becomes this motherhood plot. In my feelings, Ripley had not been moving towards that direction. And the romance plot is happening at the same time. So this whole idea that she's going to be with, you know, a, a kind of nice guy or whatever, but like that they start talking about that um, and that romance sort of budding. And then this girl showing up and her being like, she's the person we have to protect. And, you know, you know, she's going to last for the rest of the movie now.
0: I think it's also it's weird that not like move. nothing happens with that romance plot. Like oh, yeah. they have weird pragmatic conversations about how they're into each other, but there there feels like there's no like legitimate sexual tension. He they don't survive kiss. too,
1: and is, it's yeah, he survives, and it's completely irrelevant because he's just dead the next movie. It's just, it's so dumb.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing that irritated me about Alien 3. The beginning of the movie starts off with them finding her and, like, the other two people are just fucking dead. That was
1: my most... I knew the movie was terrible the second that first bit showed up. Because I was like, you're... There's no sense of real continuation once you do that. Like, they finally had some thing moving on with this family dynamic or whatever that they were building up. And, like, if you're just going to ditch that, then, like, there's just nothing being built up. There's no difference between if she had woken up after movie one versus movie two.
0: Yeah. And she cared about it for like 15 minutes and then was completely over it. Like there was no No. callback to this dead little girl or her dead like pseudo space husband. Like, just nobody talked about it again. She had, like, a 15-minute cry over it and then banged some other dude. Yeah,
1: it was, you know, like, what is, oh, God. That, what's that, going on? The new on? romance was also just bizarre and stupid and also pointless. And
0: he dies right yeah. after.
1: That one's was even more pointless, yeah, because he just dies so quickly. And it's like, he was one of the only characters in 3 that you are you really connect with at the beginning. So it just feels like, what are we doing here? Like, where, yeah. like, what's the purpose? You just have Rid, um, Ripley.
0: And clearly they wanted to go back to that like alien original where she's like this strong independent character, but they did it so poorly and negated any potential for character development from two. It's like they were trying to pretend most of that didn't happen. And it's like, she's a new woman now. She's been asleep for another 20 years. She's the same woman. She's the same woman she was in the first movie. She has lived for like four years at this point.
1: I also think she says a line, something like she's like, it's been such a long time or whatever. And I'm like, technically for you, it's been like at most six months for this whole series of events. Um, Although we have no
0: idea how long she'd been in space for the first one and how long she had gone without seeing anybody or like being with a man. So, technically, it could have been a while, but it does feel, like, very unearned, well, that whole, the like, only
1: times, I've been alone yeah. forever. The only time she's awake is, right, so you, you meet the aliens in Alien 1. That whole event happens. She goes into goes to sleep, wakes up, and there's a period of time that we don't know how long it is before she's asked by the company to yeah, go. Yeah,
0: because she gets a job. Like, she gets trained to use that loader, the, like, mecha version of a forklift, yeah. She has an actual job before she goes back to deal with the aliens
1: again. But I'd give that maybe like like six months. And if we really want to push, we could say she's there for two years. Sure. We could give it two years. Even there. It's like there's Even literally nothing else. Because then she goes to the, to the Marines, uh, does the Marine things, and then she's in hypersleep again. And the next movie starts right when she's out of hypersleep. So that I means that the only period that's actually like adding real time to this was that, and I can understand, you can say it's like psychological time, but really the line is for viewers. It's, it's been a long time yep. for viewers because it's, you know, what I remember when Alien 3s came out, but even between Alien and Aliens, it's like four years or something. Um,
0: yeah. Um, Cause it was 78. And then I think Aliens came out in like 82 or 84. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then Alien 3, I think, was, like, 89.
1: Yeah, so for viewers, I understand. It's or been a hugely long time, so that's what the line is for. But it just annoys me, as some, like especially when you're marathoning them. You're just, like...
0: I also feel weird about the fact that, like, she lands on this, like, prison colony planet or gets woken up on a prison colony planet, and, like, within half an hour, her decision is, like, I'm going to bang a dude... It's like he's a doctor, but he very clearly is probably a prisoner. I
1: feel like they're they also like made it up that they're supposed to have this like chemistry when they're like dissecting the oh, that was horrible where they have to dissect the little girl right at the beginning.
0: Yeah, they do the autopsy on the little
1: girl. That's their moment of like greatest romance building and chemistry building between the two of them. It's just so many bad choices. It's Very weird. So many bad choices. it's, It's a very weird vibe. Again, that's why I think, like, the the mind of the person who made that, I just think at that time was just so gross. The choices have no emotional nuance or care. Like, it's just so, it's all brutality. Humanity is just brutality and gross and disturbing in that.
0: Yeah, and there's this, like, weird sexual assault moment. Two that was like so unnecessary, and I get that you're supposed to be like they're brutal man prisoners who have terrible pasts yeah. and they've been celibate for years, so they have want of woman. But it's like, come on, come on! Did we need to defile the like confidence and intensity of Ripley's character? And like, yeah. it just it felt like it, an intentional choice to degrade a character that like for the most part up to this point had been a strong confident character just because she was a woman you know it felt like a very intentional choice to be like we need to knock her down a peg so that people remember that she's just a little lady i agree and then when she does succeed it's going to be so much more exciting for people because they're going to be like oh this fragile lady won and it's like fuck off man
1: i okay my one positive is i loved the science squad that comes in right at the end they just had a look like they just had a look going on and I was into it. Yeah. You're a really big
0: fan of those like metallic silver wraparound shades oh, yes. and lab coats. Yes. It was going to go on this prison planet with lab coats. Were straight out
1: of the music video. You know, they were the the real yeah. climax of the music video. And I was like, I'm into it. Yeah.
0: They were very like specific, very late 80s, like music video mixed with Hellraiser choices in costuming and sets and it if it was any other movie it probably could have looked cool but it ended up looking like really hokey and like super hard to explain the reasoning for it you know i feel like david fincher was like really into metal music at that time watched one too many hellraiser movies and like maybe got really into like the fifth element did that come out in the 80s
1: uh probably
0: And decided to create this aesthetic where people are like, they're like, the planet is basically giant sewer tunnels for a reason that is barely explained, because they're supposed to be ventilation shafts, because apparently they create lead sheeting. It's like a two second explanation that comes into play at the very end of the movie in a very Terminator 2 moment. But it's just all these huge 15 foot wide ventilation shafts. That they're, like, sitting and dangling their feet off 50 50 feet above the ground, having conversations, just screaming at each other across (laughs) a wide expanse of space. Like, just stand in a circle. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Uh,
1: It reminds me of, like, Dune and stuff, too.
0: And even Mad Max, right? Where, like, they do vast industrial spaces. And it's like, why are you having a serious conversation about a killing machine monster that lives in this planet with you? In the most inefficient, loud way possible. Like, I don't understand how they didn't all die in that scene. They're, they're just yelling at the top of their lungs at each other in the bowels of this, like, industrial building prison planet. And the yeah. alien's like, I'm just going to let them have this moment. And so I can clearly hear them because it's not that large of a space and they are being so loud, but I'm just going to let them have this. It's so fucking dumb. Why are you not all whispering? It doesn't make
1: any sense. Yeah, I think... Uh... These sci-fi movies, like, either, like, if you're a big-name director, either your sci-fi movies are some of your greats, like, it's 2001, or it's one of your worst, like David Lynch with Dune. And I think for David Fincher, it is uh, one of his less good offerings.
0: Absolutely the worst. I also, this is, like, such a minor quibble to have about his movie, but, like... I could not figure out Mm. where a single light source was coming from in this movie. Like there was no discernible place for light bulbs or any kind of lighting to be. And yet every room either looked like they had windows and there was daylight streaming in somehow on this planet that doesn't have earth daylight and is like super fucked up and shitty looking on the surface or everything was steeped in orange. Like there was flames everywhere. Mm. And I'm like, where is this lighting coming from? The only scene it's addressed is when they're lighting candles down a tunnel for a reason that I can't explain, but there's like 65 tiny candles lit to light up this tunnel because they're inspecting it and no one has flashlights in the future. But like, where's the act- Where's the light coming from? How can you see anything?
1: I think- um, There's
0: no windows. Yeah,
1: I think Alien 1 had- a really nice like aesthetic and set dressing, mm. and that in that the aliens had a distinct. Except look. Except for that one scene, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I know we'll get to the thing. But the aliens had a distinct look. The alien ship had a distinct look, and then the um, ship itself and the the humans had a, a different enough look that it felt like there was a juxtaposition. The second movie, kind of one of my problems, was just that like everything just felt mishmashed after a certain point. Like it was just all it was all cool-looking, but, like, it didn't really add that much to the whole aliens' aesthetic. Whereas 3, as you're saying, has a very different look in a way, but it was bizarre in a way. Like, for some... I remember seeing some of the doors and stuff that they'd have in this industrial planet would have the alien sort of look to it, where they'd be, like, opened up and have all this wiring and stuff. And I'm just like, but you're not... This isn't owned by the aliens. Like, you have to make distinctions. So,
0: And, like, I kind of get that he was trying to make it look like futuristic but also dystopian and run down because like nobody comes to this planet anymore it's been like a defunct prison colony for 20 years or whatever but like it doesn't even look like it could have been a functional prison no, colony it's so bizarre when it wasn't defunct you know what i mean i couldn't even think where were the prison cells yeah where did the prisoners go when they weren't allowed to like just freely roam it's it doesn't make any sense
1: but yes, to, to go back to your point, the one thing we both agreed is the one really big mistake in the first movie was just thing that looks you know out of place temporarily. Like we just know that it... I mean, so they do have TV screens and whatnot to like when they're scanning things and they show it on monitors. And obviously these monitors are super old. Those still work for me in a way. Like uh, obviously it dates yeah. it, but it like works. But it was these lights in the cockpit of the ship
0: it wasn't so it wasn't the cockpit where they were actually flying but it was like sort of a navigational ai hub because they have this ai similar to 2001 space odyssey but it's mother and this room that he goes into to have a conversation with the ai and like look at their guidance plans and like what they have to transport and all that shit is like this conical all white but like the most not blanched out white, but like the most boring version of cream, conical room with useless tiny light bulbs turning on and off mm-hmm. on every single panel except for the like eight inch screen <laughs> embedded in the front wall and then an all white captain's chair that he sits in. And it just looked like the cheapest ripoff of something from 2001 A Space Odyssey.
1: Um, it kind of reminds me of like X Men, the that room. Yeah, I agree. Um, the cerebr- Cerebro. Yeah, Cerebro. It's like Took the most cheap version of that type of room. So that was a kind of mistake on their part. But overall, again, the because they have the practical effects are basically good throughout, except for that one little running scene with the um, chest, chest burster And this thing, like, there's just tiny mistakes. But the overall thing, it still holds up. Whereas there's yeah. almost countless moments in the second and third movies, which are bizarre or feel out of place or have... CGI. I think the second
0: holds up as an action movie if you're if you're going into it knowing that it's like an action movie with horror elements akin to like a Predator, then you're not going to be disappointed. But if you're looking for like a sci-fi experience, you're you're not getting it from like James Cameron's Aliens.
1: Well, yeah, and I and I'm only referring here to like the holding up in terms of like the setting and design and the feeling that it's like I'm not even sure how to call it, but like that everything doesn't feel out of place or doesn't feel even mm-hmm. though yes as as we said like the screens you you of course know that this is sci-fi made from like the 70s and things but there's something about the practical effects something that still feels cool today still works um, Aliens yes. it, uh, like as in 2 it just there's so many moments where they do like the tracking shots of like a ship going over the planet's surface or whatever and you can just see that it's like a some kind it's not CGI but it's some kind of trick and it just it it's always like a looks silly. Wires. Yeah, it always looks silly to me and You know, in a way, they had little excuse because when you look at the amazingness of the practical effects of Star Wars, which was, you know, around the same time, they managed to make everything in Star Wars look incredible. And so it is possible to have really, I'm sure the budget of Star Wars was much bigger, but maybe not. I don't know.
0: I don't think the first one would have been. But then again, like the first alien probably didn't have like an enormous budget either. So I don't know what the excuse is for James Cameron's Aliens. I don't know if maybe they had less budget because it was a sequel or if they got more budget because Alien was so successful.
1: Well, I think the thing we can say is that they were just... The talent and thought of creativity put into how to make Star Wars look the way it does, which is tough. When I found out about how some of that stuff is made, it's just incredible Like that they would paint whole mm-hmm. backgrounds in a way that, yes, I mean, we know that like Wizard of Oz and other ones, it's probably one of the only ones we still watch today that has these, where a lot of things. Some of the scenes... In Wizard of Oz, do trick me, where I do forget that it's a painted background scene, but most of them, it's pretty obvious. Star Wars, I had zero clue that that's how they did it until it was explained to me, like in a behind-the-scenes thing. There's just so much that's done so cleverly, whereas in Aliens and Alien 3 especially, you could see so much yes going on that to make the effects that they were trying to do.
0: I think to me, that's why the first alien holds up in a way that Prometheus and alien covenant never can because the first alien is so steeped in practical effects. And it gives the xenomorph, all the creatures in it, a very tactile grounded, realistic feel, even though, you know, it's, it's puppetry and, and models and latex and whatever it grounds it in a tangible physical reality whereas prometheus and alien covenant rely so heavily on cgi all right. the xenomorphs are cgi there's no practical effects there's hardly any practical effects even in like the like kill moments it's mostly cgi it's the same it's actually the same problem i have with the lord of the rings movies versus the hobbit movies right the lord of the rings movies the orcs the orakay everyone it was all practical effects Um, Except for things like the Balrog and stuff like that and like Gollum and and everything, which were really heightened CGI. But it was used sparingly, so it didn't overpower the effect Mm -hmm. and take away sort of the humanity of these creatures. Whereas in The Hobbit, you had a few orcs that were practical effects. The majority of the orcs, the majority of the fighting scenes, especially the elf fighting scenes, all CGI. And it looked too smooth. Mm too clean, too perfect, it took away the imperfections, the ground something in reality. You know, something looking scarred or not quite right or just imperfect in some way makes it look more real. When it's smooth and crisp, like CGI is today, it pulls focus for me. Mm
1: -hmm. For me, looking back and when I reflect on these movies, I think what will really stick out to me, like what puts it in that pantheon of movies for time and whatnot, is those initial seeing of the different aliens in that first movie. And that's why it sticks out to me. That's what's iconic. The feeling, the alien as alien, as other, but connected to this history of the weird killing machine oil sleekness and the ship. I heard that Roger Ebert apparently said about that scene in particular that that's the movie's one profound moment. Not sure that's necessarily true, but I certainly think it's one of them. Like, it's something that just brings, evoke something out of the movie that's so powerful. And in a way, I love it because it's not about characters or acting or these other aspects. It's something that celebrates practical effects, set design and thinking about things. And that's, to me, one of the failures of the second and third movie is that they don't expand the universe enough. They don't give me enough extra elements to feel like there's more creative vision to be had. Um, Not just the fact that there is a backstory or there is an answer. Sure, that's something. But I want new ideas, new vision, new moves to be made. And there's just so much richness in terms of that in that first movie. And so yeah. I really appreciate looking back at that and the, combining that with those thriller elements and it just makes for a good ride as a movie, it's iconic. It's it's just, it's, yeah. it's gonna and stand the test I of do time. Feel like, or it has.
0: I do feel like Prometheus and Covenant try to recapture that element that Ridley Scott had in the first movie. I don't think they do it nearly as well, even though they're both still Ridley Scott films. I think he is trying to capture that and create or expand on the mythology he created in the first one when you have the creator aliens that are enormous giants that bestowed creation upon humanity, which I still think is stupid, but I think the aliens themselves are very interesting and and weird looking and they're modeled after the Easter Island heads, which is a cool choice. And then you have these xenomorphs that are gestating in different... So you get to see what they're like, like you do in the third one when they gestate in an animal that isn't a human and how that causes them to come out different. And you get to see their stages of evolution in these movies in a way that's different. So you end up with like an all-white version of the xenomorph, which I don't know why, but feels like a weird aesthetic choice to me, but it is what it is. Um, It just looks grosser. (laughs) Everything... It's the same reason that I hated like when Ian Holm actually died and that was a reveal that he was an android and he's spewing white fluid. It never won't look gross. Yeah. It was a bad aesthetic choice. But they but they but he tries to continue that mythology and expand on it. It's just in like the most frustratingly pretentious esoteric bullshit way. Yeah. So it ends up being not good, but for a completely different reason than Alien 3 or even the elements that you didn't like in Aliens. Yeah, I mean honestly, after my huge rants, I don't have a ton left to say about these movies. I love Alien. I also love Aliens in mostly different ways because I do recognize they have very different themes and genre bending and et cetera. But I I enjoy the ride of both of them for different reasons. I think Alien is the better film. But I think aliens in certain aspects can be more fun or entertaining. Yeah. And I don't think anyone needs to talk about Alien 3 anymore. Because when we did this marathon, I truly forgot that that was what Alien 3 was. I thought Alien Resurrection was the third movie. So I was like... Getting ready to watch Ron Perlman just like fuck shit up Doom style and then was woefully disappointed by this absolute piece of garbage that I think everyone has forgotten existed. I mean, I don't think anyone beyond this all movie. of our rants
1: or critiques of it, like it's number one thing is it's just boring as hell. Like the movie is just boring. That's the main problem.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, that that is true. There's a whole host of other issues. If you want to watch it, you'll sit down and you'll see all of them within probably 20 minutes of starting the movie. Every single problem with it is glaringly obvious within the first 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and then it just drags on for two fucking hours that are painful to sit through. I was on my phone for part of it. Yeah. Um, I think you were too. Mm-hmm. So I think I fell asleep. Like, it's for just, part it's of a it. bad movie. That wouldn't even be surprising. You were lying on the on the blow up yeah. bed, so. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked.
1: But yeah, I'm.
0: That was why I was on my phone. You were like ahead of me and couldn't see me, so I was just like fucking around on my phone for like a solid twenty minutes of that shitty ass movie. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm glad we we watched them. I would have liked to have finished Resurrection. I might actually watch the other three when I get a chance. I'm not sure when I'll have time, but like I am curious to finish. They all suck,
0: the... but Resurrection. Well, fun. I'm especially
1: I'm curious about the prequels. I do for the world building. I just want to see what they what they really put out. I don't think I ever watched Captain. Yeah,
0: I mean that's kind of coolish.
1: And I like that. Kind Michael
0: Fassbender's okay in it. Yeah. Numi Rapace is mostly annoying in my opinion, which is a bummer because she's your new female lead and she mm. kind of sucks. Logan Marshall Green's in it. Oh, nice. Playing a bastard as he usually does. Looking fine though while he does it, which is nice.
1: Who, who plays Logan Marshall Green? He is the guy who plays the main character of the Guernsey Potato Peel Pie.
0: Invitation? Society, right? No, that's um, Michael Hoosman.
1: Oh, I'm mixing the two up. Yep.
0: Logan Marshall Green is the lead in The Invitation. Yeah. Um he's also the lead I mix in I mixed those two up like I
1: literally thought it was the same person who was the lead of The they Invitation and the lead of
0: Absolutely look nothing alike. If you had said you mixed him up with Tom Hardy that would make sense because he 100% looks like the Walmart brand of Tom Hardy. Still hot, but like in my opinion hotter, but he does look like a generic version of Tom Hardy. I think they
1: look similar. I don't know. I'd have to they, look at them.
0: Again. They don't. Look at pic- look at a picture of Michael Husman. They look nothing alike. They really don't. Logan Marshall Green is much broader, a little bit shorter. Michael Hoosman is very like quite thin, quite tall. They have completely different features. Michael Hoosman has very Nordic features, very strong nose.
1: Who's um almost
0: black hair?
1: Who's the one in uh uh Flight Attendant?
0: That's Michael Hussman. Yeah. They look not they look nothing alike.
1: I honestly still can barely I mean they're both white,
0: them. so like they don't look that different, but
1: you know. I'll, I'll, okay, I'm going to look it up after after we end the call. But yeah.
0: Look it up now. Whoa, look it up right uh, now on the podcast so that we can shame you. Because I mean, look, they're both two like mid-30s white dudes. So, they you know, they're similarities because they're just both like generic white dudes. But they do look very different. <laughs> like they really don't look alike.
1: Wait, 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 wait. One second. Is, yeah, Michael Hustman is in The Invitation. I'm just thinking of him in The Invitation. Oh. Not, not the main character. I never I was, was thinking of Logan Marshall specifically, Green. Specifically, I forgot. I forgot he was a sidekick. Oh ca- uh, my not a god!
0: But I forgot he was in this it. whole.
1: Th- I was like, I swear to God, I could not differentiate <laughs> this guy from the guy I know from *Invitation*. That's so funny.
0: So the main character, specifically in *The Invitation*, yeah, no, is who I I'm never talking was talking about thinking Logan, of Marshall,
1: Logan Green. Marshall Green. Never, never in this whole. Thing. <laughs> That's so. funny. He does Green. look like Walmart brand Tom Hardy.
0: Tom Hardy, right? That is true. I find him more attractive, but. He really does look like the like dollar store version of Tom Hardy. It's also very good in devil movie in the Mm. elevator with Chris Messina because Chris Messina is just fucking in everything nowadays for some reason that I don't understand. I mean, he's good. It's just weird that he's in like every movie and TV show I turn
1: on lately. All right. (laughs) Let's wrap this up. So we like number one and number two quite a lot and uh, not too much three.
0: Number three is not even fun bad. Like that's how bad it is. It just, it goes past fun bad and straight into like, I want to forget this movie exists the minute I turn it off bad.
1: You can find us on Twitter at fans lab pod and on all other social media, except fa- Facebook. Yeah. Because on, who goes on that? You know, just search up fans labyrinth and cause they're slightly different each time. So um, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what other stuff you'd be interested in. We, are always running on movies on our list. So we're always looking for more to check out. And we'd love to hear from you.
0: And feel free to disagree with us. Give us shit online.
1: Let's see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye.